Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Well, it's good to see you and to be back with you. I ask you to please take your Bible and turn to the book of James, chapter 2. We're back in our series in James, which we had our good friend Jared Wilson here last week to, to preach from the book of Genesis, a blessing that was. And as we're back in James, we're going to hear about Abraham again. Jared preached about Abraham last week and the fear that he had. And so now James brings us to Abraham and to think about the relationship. Sometimes we, we talk in such a way as though there's this tension. We will say, let's look at the tension of faith and works. Well, that's not the way the Bible even approaches the subject of faith and works, that there's this kind of tension, this reconciliation that needs to occur. But really, there is a tension between faith and no works. There is a reconciliation that must happen between someone who says they have faith and yet they have no works. And, and James takes us to Abraham to show us this, how the practical outworking, the cogs and gears of, of the Christian faith, that production line is faith and works for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. So if you're able, uh, let's do as we often do. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, beginning in James chapter 2, verse 14, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Beginning in verse 14, the Spirit says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as... The body apart from the spirit is dead. So also, faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray together. Holy Father, would you help us now? Help us to hear your word, to hear what it is that you have for us, and to even begin now, Lord, the work of your spirit, to tear down walls and to tear down already inner arguments we're having with you, with your word. So Lord, would you keep us from the sin of presumption 
on your word and the sin of explaining away your word and just hearing what you have for us that you breathed out by your spirit in James chapter two. Help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It's clear that James doesn't hold back on what's making us uncomfortable. And we're really, this morning, he's diagnosing this works-less faith. Now look at, look at verse 14. He's going to show us that a what? A worksless faith is no good. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone, so there's this hypothetical person James is talking about, this someone says he has faith but does not have works? The rhetorical answer is it's no good. What good is it if someone says they have faith, but they don't have any good works? His point is, it's of no benefit. It's not good for that person. It's not good for you. It's not good for their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not good for their neighbors. And it's not good for the glory of God. And look at what James says after that. Can that, so, okay, well, yeah, it's not good. He should grow. He needs to develop. Now, what does James say next? His next question, can that faith save him? That rhetorical answer is no. No. James, as we've seen throughout the whole book, James has no problem going right to a very difficult thing and saying just what needs to be said right away. I mean, think about, he's been talking about works really the whole time since the book started. When Kevin preached two weeks ago, he talked about the sin of partiality. That's a good work to not show partiality and favoritism. He talks about uh, taking care of orphans and widows. He talks about controlling what you say. Talks about your anger. Talks about being quick to listen. All of these things are works. So this is not like some new category. James just dropped this atomic bomb in the middle of the book of James. He's been leading up to this point, and he's just talking about it even more. Can that faith save that is worksless? James says no. Now, we can't get this confused with legalism. Because I know already there's some verses in here we're going to talk about that sound like, whoa, this sounds like the exact opposite of a series we did earlier in the year on the five solas of the Reformation, where one of these alone statements is that we are saved by what? Faith alone. And later, James is going to say, we're not saved by faith alone. Well, James isn't contradicting any other part of the Word of God, because this is God's Word, so God doesn't contradict himself. So we've got to do a real thinking and a real harmonizing and a real context of what's being said. When James uses the word justify, he's using it different than Paul does. When we hear the word justify, we automatically usually think of Paul because he comes first in our Bibles, that we are justified in Christ. We're declared righteous in Christ. And, but really, James writes before Paul. It's about 80, 40, some people think, when James is, is writing this. Paul is writing a few years after that. James just comes later in our Bibles, the way the books are arranged. And so we kind of import Paul to how we read James. That we should read James as a Jewish man before Paul's writings, how he uses those words. The same way Jesus uses them. Talk about righteousness. Not being declared righteous, but that actual righteousness. And what this faith looks like. And James is actually talking about a very specific kind of faith, the so-called faith that's being pushed on the streets. But look at verse 14 again. Someone says he has faith, but does not have works. So this is the faith he's talking about, this so-called faith. 
someone that says, I have faith, but there's no works, because look at what he says, can that faith, can that faith, that faith that doesn't have works, that faith, can that save him? This isn't the faith that believing that Christ died for your sins and rose again from the dead. Believing that he's the only way to eternal life. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about a person that says, I have faith, but, but I don't have works. Can that faith save him? Someone says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't change my life. Can that faith save him? Someone says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to live it. Can that faith save him? Are we supposed to believe that's authentic faith? This isn't absurd. This isn't an unfair expectation. It's not at all unreasonable for Christians to be expected to live like Christians. So it's not legalistic. It's not ungospel centered to expect people who have died with Christ and have been raised with Christ and have been filled with the spirit of Christ to have the life of Christ displayed in their life. This is what James is about. And this is really, this, this chapter two is really an extension of what he said at the end of chapter one. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. We hear that and we go, amen. Then James says, well, let me put some more meat on that. Uh, you gotta have works. Whoa, <laughs> he's saying the same thing. Be a doer of the word, not, not a hearer only. And James really gives us an example. Look at verse 15 and 16. Here's an example. If a brother or sister, poorly clothed, this literally means that they, their clothes are ragged. They're, they're not appropriately dressed, not in a like immoral way, but just in a what they have. Maybe we, we, this wouldn't apply here, but maybe it's freezing out and they don't, have, they don't have a jacket. And they don't have any food, lacking daily food. Literally, that means they don't even have enough food for today. So imagine you meet a Christian today, you know them, they're, at, they're a part of our church and you've heard about them. Oh, it's so good to meet you, Sally. And she says, well, you, man, I, I, we don't, I don't know how we're going to make it today. We, we don't have enough food. I don't even know what we're going to do for lunch. We've hit hard times, and I'm, I was glad to be here to worship, but we just don't have, we have zero food. I, my kids, I don't know what we're going to do. And you can tell their clothes are just falling apart, and they look homeless, and they're a part of our church. And James is saying, so what should you do? 16. And one of you, so he's looking at us, it says, you meet this brother or sister, and one of you says to them, you know what? Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So he says, you see them, and instead of saying, we're going to the grocery store. You're, you're coming over to my house. We're going to feed you. You can have clothes out of my closet. Here, come over. We're going to the store. Come over for dinner. Instead of doing those things, James says, you say some nice spiritual thing to them. You pray for them. Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. That's the equivalent of saying, just trust God. Man, we don't have any food today. I just wish God provide. Let's pray for him to provide as we go to lunch. Maybe, may he clothe you and provide your daily bread. Let's pray for the Lord to bring some kind person. It's insane. It's absurd. James says, what good is that? What kind of Christianity is that that sees a brother or sister in need, someone that we claim to be united in Christ together, 
and our hearts are not opened to help them. It's, it's no good. James is really getting to the heartbeat of daily Christianity. Are we ever compelled to help each other? To serve each other? Especially someone in our body who is in great need. And Paul agrees with this exactly. In Galatians 6, I love this verse, Galatians 6, 9 and 10, Paul says, Paul and James are not at odds. Paul says the same thing. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul is not at odds with James. He's saying the same thing. Let's do good to everyone, and especially Christians. Let's, let's not grow weary in doing good. And Paul says in Titus 2 that Jesus is making us zealous for good works. Titus 2.14, that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. He saves us. He's getting rid of our sins. We so agree with that, and we forget the next part. He's making a people for his own possession who are what? Who are zealous for good works. Paul says two good works. Don't relent in them. When the opportunity comes up, seize it especially for other believers. And Jesus is making us zealous for good works. Jesus and James and Paul, they are not saying different things. They're just saying the same thing differently. Look at verse 17. So faith that works, what is it? 17, so also faith by itself. What do you mean by itself, James? If it does not have works, is dead. What should we think about a worksless faith? A worksless faith is dead. Dead. James doesn't hem and haul. Oh, it's immature. It's childish. It's an oversight. It's not a mistake. This is not a growth point. James says it's dead. Dead. And I'm aware that some of us, when we read a verse like this, we get, a, we get a lump in our throat. Beloved, I know some of us have very tender hearts. And some of us, we hear things like this, and we immediately start going, oh my gosh, I'm not saved. Some of us are very, some of us are too hard on ourselves. We feel like we never measure up. We we're well aware of our sins, we're well aware of our failures and shortcomings, and we often allow indwelling sin to overshadow the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in our life. If that's you, you read a verse like this, even when we read the passage this morning, if a lump already formed in your throat and you know you are a believer, if that's you, don't allow this satanic injection of condemnation into your bloodstream. If you believe the Lord Jesus and see the Lord Jesus at, at work in your life, re rejoice. James's goal is not to shame us or to guilt us into good works. And on the, on the other side, I know that there are some of us here too that we have a harder conscience than others. You read this verse and you thought, man, I hope they're listening. They need to hear this. I hope, I hope Jim's in the second service. I hope Tommy's going to be there taking notes because he needs this today. That's the posture of the Pharisee that Jesus talks about who's praying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this person. 
Because I tithe and I pray and I do all these things. And then the other, the sinner, the genuine believer says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, who do you think went home? Justified. Who was justified by their works? The one who prayed, look how great I am, or the one who prayed, God, be merciful to me. So I think at the end of the message, we should have a heart of God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So there is an element where Christians, faithful Christians, we long to live more faithfully for Christ. And faithful Christians yearn to have their faith lived out more and more. And in another sense, I know that there are people here who are not Christians. You, you have said you are, but, but you are not. All you've done is say, I'm a Christian, but nothing else has changed. You, you prayed a prayer at some point in your life, but nothing else has changed. And listen, what James wants you to hear is that you need to hear from God that if your faith, this faith that doesn't have works, if that faith doesn't have any vital signs, this means you have not been raised to newness of life. If there are no vital signs to your faith, this means you have not been born again. You must be born again. You must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that in fact God did raise him from the dead for your sins, and then you will receive newness of life. Then you will be born again. The greatest tragedy in the Bible Belt and in our churches in the Bible Belt is that there is far too much verbal Christianity without any vital signs of life with Christ. Skip Richter, one of our elders, he is a horticulturalist. He's a plant guru, an amazing plant guy. And apparently he's like radio famous and YouTube famous and all these things. He can name plants. Like I've, I've just never seen it. Then when we were in the Republic of Georgia on a mission trip, and it was myself and Austin and Phil and Skip, and we'd be walking through, you know, anywhere in the country. And we'd go, Skip, what is that? You go, well, that's a blah, 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 blah. Amazing. And we'd be in another part of the country. Skip, what's this? That's a... He, would, he just knew every plant we would look at and go, Skip, what's this one? Well, I think, because we don't have those in the States, I think this is a part of the, this kind of family and has these kinds of things. It was incredible. Just by looking at it, by looking at its leaves and its shape and its bud and its colors and just the way the vines and the way the branches would grow and fall and how they would arc, all of these things, he knew exactly by sign and shape and color and smell. He would go and touch them, and he knew this is what it is. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 6 with faith, works, and fruit. Luke chapter 6, for a good tree, for no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you say you have faith in me? And yet you don't do what I say. Jesus says just what James is saying. No works coming from your faith. No action, no fruit, no hearing and doing. Jesus says, you're, you're not a part of me. James calls it dead, not viable. And I love what Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, that we should see faith working through love. 
faith working through love. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, what is the point of even faith without love? It's nothing. It's a noisy gong. It's a clanging cymbal. Romans 1.5, there is an, an obedience of faith. And I know that some of us are probably already objecting or feel uncomfortable with what James and Jesus and Paul are saying. But just let me say, if you feel uncomfortable and feel you need to argue with Jesus, James, and Paul, you have issues. <laughs> the problem is not with the Bible. Maybe you're feeling, well, you can't prove faith. It's faith. You can't prove faith. It's just faith. It's faith. James knows people are going to object. That's what he says in verse 18. Verse 18. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Well, yeah, there's some Christians who are more internal faith, you know, uh, meek and quiet. And then there's the more who, they have works. They, they put it on display. There's really two kinds of, of Christians out there. Look at what James says. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Just think about it. James is challenging us. Show me your faith. Show it to me. Show, and show it without your works. James is saying, you can't. James says, I can. I can show you my works. I can show you the fruit. I can see what is happening. Since I'm connected to the vine, since I'm connected to Christ, I can show you the fruit that he's bearing out in my life. Show me your works. Mine are synchronized with Christ of my faith in Christ. So just think about your faith right now, Redeemer. How do you know you believe? How do you know you have faith? You might respond, well, I believe. Beloved, demons pass that test. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one? You do well. He's, he's being a little sarcastic. Good for you. Even the demons believe and shudder. A worksless faith is demon-like. There are no atheists in the satanic realm. Demons know there is only one triune God, and they shudder. Demons know that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, and they shudder at him in the Gospels. The demons know that Jesus is going to come and going to bring judgment on the earth, and that he will grab Satan and all of his minions, and he will throw them into eternal hell forever. They know that day is coming. That's why when they see Jesus in the Gospels, they say, is today the day? Have you come to destroy us today, Son of David, Son of God? And they shudder at him. Demons often respond better to what they know than Christians do. They shudder at the thought of God, and we often act like the frozen chosen. Now, what's James's point? James's point is that knowing something isn't the same as faith. In a sense, even belief is not the same as faith. I had to really think about that and even think of, did I really even want to say that? But I think I can based off of verse 19. The demons believe that God is one. Just believing that God is one is not faith. Even believing something is not the same as faith. Demons know that Jesus died and rose again. Satan knows Jesus is alive in the heavenly places and will one day come to set up his eternal kingdom. 
but they don't believe it happened for them. In fact, they know it didn't happen for them because they know Jesus only died for Adam's race. They know the gospel is only for us humans. And here's the difference that James is trying to show us. They believe this. They believe that God is one, but yet what is, it doesn't produce anything. It doesn't pr- produce any good works. It doesn't produce anything for the glory of God. It doesn't produce anything for the good of others. It doesn't produce anything for them. And so James is saying here too, you can believe that God is one, but if it doesn't produce anything in your life, then what good is that to you? This is what James is talking about. That same faith in verse 14, that faith that doesn't have works, can that faith save them? You know, we often read this passage or talk about this concept as though there's a kind of Christian that has faith and lacks works, and then there's a Christian that has faith and has works. James says, no, that's wrong. There is not a Christian that has faith but lacks works. James is saying there's only a Christian that has faith that's working itself out in fear and trembling. And then there's a masquerading, counterfeit, knockoff faith because it doesn't have works. You will know them by their fruit. As Sam Alberry says, a deedless faith is a dead faith. Now, I want you to hear this, okay? What, what we have faith in or who we have faith in, we have not seen. Amen. What, what, what we have faith in, who we have faith in, we have not seen. But the evidence of our faith can be seen. What and who we have faith in, we have not seen. But the evidence of our faith can be seen. And know that a worksless faith is useless. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He's kind of saying, do you want me to keep proving it to you? Do you not already agree with me? And internally, he probably knows, I know you're not. So let me keep going. They're really two strong words. He said, faith without works is dead, and faith without works is useless. No benefit, zero use, garbage. And really think about the phrase, oh, that's useless. I know we use that a lot. Oh, man, this thing's useless. Really, very few things are actually useless. They may not serve their original purpose. They can be reused. They can be repurposed. They can be recycled. Dated magazines get used for a kid's collage project. Dated magazines, five years old, used to bore you at the dentist's office. Old Disney VHS movies, which my parents have dozens of, are now collectibles. Some are even worth money. Old paper can be used, fold it up and prop up, prop up the table at a restaurant. Well, very few things are actually useless. But faith without works, the Bible says, is truly and genuinely useless. And dangerous. It tricks you that you're saved when in fact you're not. Because remember what James is saying, real faith is visible. You can see it by your works. Faith can be seen. I love, there's this awesome story in the Gospels. Jesus is teaching in a house and some friends want to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus to heal him. And hopefully you know the story that there's too many people. The crowds are too big. They can't get their friend in the room on a stretcher. And so what do they do? Luke chapter 5, look at what the Bible says. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof 
and let him down with his bed through the tiles and to the midst before Jesus. Think about that. These friends going, we got to get Jesus here. We got to get our friend to Jesus. How are we going to do it? Too many crowds. Uh, uh, anybody, anything. Let's go to the roof. Let's, let's destroy this person's house and get our friend in there. We have to. Our friend has got to see Jesus. What does Luke say? And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. What did Jesus see? Their faith. That's amazing to me. I've never made these connections with what James is saying here and what we see in the Gospels before. Luke didn't write, and Jesus saw their good deed, which he could have. That'd be true. But Luke lifted up the hood for us, showed us the engine. Jesus saw the engine. He saw their faith. And maybe you're thinking, well, of course Jesus saw it. He's Jesus. The Bible doesn't let us off the hook. Acts 14, Paul could see it too. There's a man who wants to be made well. Another man, paralyzed man. And Paul looking, I, don't, I guess I don't have it up here. Paul looking intently at him. Acts 14.9, if you're writing it down, you want to see it for yourself. Acts 14.9, Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Paul looking at him. He has faith to be made well. I can see it. Faith can be seen. To show it even more and get right to the big tamale of the passage. Look at verse 24. Before we talk about Abraham, before we talk about Rahab, let's look at verse 24. So you see, so he's talking about even what we've seen so far, not helping the poor Christian, what the demons do, even the guys who lowered their friend to Jesus. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Oh, boy. That that's, feels like a big knot that we need to untie. This is what made Martin Luther cringe and sweat, calling James an epistle of straw. Obviously, Luther went too far. Obviously, Luther was overreacting against the great legalism of his day, and Luther is wrong with that statement, and obviously, he wasn't careful as he read James. Yes, this verse almost sounds like it contains the exact opposite of what Paul says. But they are not contradicting each other. And I'll just put them up screen, both of them next to each other. James says, you see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. What does Paul say? For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. These are not contradicting each other. James and Paul are talking about the Christian life just from different angles, different vantage points. Paul writes about the kind of entry into Christianity, and James is talking about once you're in Christianity. They're using the same words, using them in different ways, and there are two glaring differences in the text. What does James talk about? James says what? Faith alone. Not by faith alone. That same faith that doesn't manifest or is not active along with good works or with good deeds prepared beforehand for, for us to walk in. And what does Paul say? What, what works is Paul talking about? Paul's saying what? Romans 3, works of the law. 
So not just good works, but these works of the law, trying to earn salvation through the law. So you can tell they're attacking two different things. Paul is attacking legalism. You cannot earn your salvation by works of the law. You can only be declared righteous in Christ. So the response, what Paul would say, right. We can't be saved by works of the law. We need Jesus. We need his life. We need his death. And we need his resurrection from the dead. What's James attacking? James is attacking license. I believe that's enough. Yeah, I, so what? I don't change. So what? I don't repent. So what? I don't want to really follow Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. That's enough. James says, no, because we have Jesus. So Paul was saying, we need Jesus. James is saying, because we have Jesus, because we have his life and because we have his death and because we have his resurrection and because he is alive in us, works will come out in our lives. The gospel speaks to both, Romans 3 and James 2. Paul is looking at the entry point. James is looking at daily life in the gospel. They will both agree. As we've already seen, faith without works isn't saving faith. Our works don't save. They reveal we are saved. And this is the clearest it can be expressed. Our works don't save us. Only Jesus saves us. Only his works save us but they just reveal we are saved. And if we have Christ, if we've been filled with the Spirit of Christ, good works are the life of Christ being played out in us. When you love, when you serve, when you pray, when you genuinely pray for a brother or sister in Christ, that's the works and life of Christ played out in you. I think Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, say this the best I see in the Scriptures showing this relationship. Look on the screen. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So this is the relationship We're saved by grace through faith, not of our works, and we are saved and created as born-again new believers in Christ Jesus for good works that God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has already prepared, ordained, and planned out all the good works you're going to do in your life, and by his sovereign spirit, you will walk in them. So you could read this verse backwards. What if someone says they have faith, but they don't walk in them? They don't walk in good works. Well, you read it backwards, then they're probably not been saved by grace through faith. As Calvin said, we are saved by faith alone, and that faith that saves is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, and that faith that saves is never alone. It's like those, those motorcycles that you see. They got the motorcycle, and then they got the sidecar. Faith and works riding together, baby. They're always together. They cannot be detached. That sidecar is always there, and they're both barreling down the highway together. Now, to prove it even more, James gives three more examples. He's given us two already. The Christian who doesn't help the needy brother or sister, demons. Now he gives us three more. Abraham, Rahab, and a dead body. Verse 21. 
this shows his works really do reveal faith. Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So God had promised Abraham, you'd be a blessing to the nations. You'd be a father of many. And Isaac's his only son. But then God tests him. Put your son on the altar. And Abe did it. And it says elsewhere in the Bible that Abraham, knowing God's promise and believing God, he put Isaac on the altar, knowing that God could even raise him from the dead. And what does James say? He was justified by his works. Meaning, remember Abraham? You can see his faith right there with Isaac. He's telling us his faith was justified by his works. Proven. Paul uses the word justified as declared. You're declared righteous. James using the word justified as it's proving you're righteous. That faith you claim to have, it's justified, proven by your works. And this is not a new concept. You can go even further. You can go to Noah. Noah had good works. He built the ark. He believed God. He did the works. David, he believed that God was with the nation of Israel, so he did the work and killed Goliath. He did the good work. This is, this is not a new thing. In the Gospels, Jesus says, hey, throw your net on the other side. And of course, what does Peter do? Well, man, we've been fishing all day. How dare you tell us to throw it? Just do it. All right. This is a good work. Whoa. Here come all the fish. This is not a new thing, that faith and works would work side by side. Look at verse 22. This is so important. What's happening in this verse, these two truths are huge. 22. So you see that faith was what? Active. Just circle that word active in your Bible. Faith was active along with his works. Active along with. It's not that there's faith over here and then, you know, works kind of happen. No, they're active along together. They're together, side by side, tandem. Faith isn't a single moment. When we usually talk about faith in Christianity, we generally import the idea of the profession of faith, that, that first time we believed. That's, that is a real thing. Obviously, the Bible speaks of that. But the Bible speaks of both, the ongoing faith. Faith is a daily, ongoing trust in the triune God, in him and in his word and his promises. And so Bible here says faith is active, motivating, fueling, rolling us forward as we walk with Jesus. And remember the woman in the Gospels who has the issue of blood. And she says to herself, if I could just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And she did. She reached out and touched the, the edge of Jesus' jacket. And what does Jesus say to her? Your faith has made you well. Not your action, not your deed, but it was her faith that was active along with her works that she would grab Jesus' jacket. And Jesus says, your faith is what made you well. Second, works complete our faith. Look at the end of verse 22. And faith was completed. So I underline in my Bible, active along with and completed by his works. What does that mean? It doesn't mean Abraham's faith was lacking something, that it needed some shoring up. This means faith is, reaches its maturity by works. Faith realizes its intended goal through works, through displayed visible trust in God. Good works are just like a cosmic a trust fall into Christ, displayed. I, you know, when you're teaching a kid to swim and they're on the edge of the pool and they don't jump in, 
Like, jump, I'll catch you. Do you trust me? Yeah. Then jump. <laughs> you don't trust me. Jump. So when we say, yeah, I believe him. I can do the good works. Well, James, again, is showing us that it's, it's not sufficient to equate maturity and godliness with knowledge alone. James is saying, where are the works? Where are the good deeds? Where is the life of Christ being played out in our lives? This is the point of good works, not just, oh, you got to do stuff. That's not James's point. The point is, where is the life of Christ being played out in your life? And he transitions from Abraham, the great patriarch, to a prostitute, to Rahab. What does he say about Rahab? Verse 25. And in the same way, was not also... That's a beautiful thing that he would talk about Abraham. And in the same way, Rahab, Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them away, sent them out by another way. So here you have a Gentile prostitute, a non-Jewish woman, a prostitute, when she heard about God and what God was doing with the nation of Israel and her own people wanted to kill the spies that had been sent out to spy out her own country, she protected them. She brought them in and said, I believe what your God is doing. God says, do you see her faith? Her faith was more than lip service. And I love that James picked Abraham and Rahab, a patriarch and a prostitute, a man and a woman, a Jew and a Gentile. From one of the highest esteemed figures in the Bible, in Abraham, all the way down to an outsider, a prostitute who believes God, and their faith is evident. Because it's easy for us to all think, well, of course, Abraham. I mean, of course, missionaries, of course, pastors, of course, people who grew up in church. I mean, of course, they have works, but not me. Not me, not little me. The Bible says, look at Rahab. Every Christian, every Christian has works. They may be very small. They may not be as big and as noticed. We know what Jesus says about big, noticeable works. He's not all that impressed by them. When you want to pray, what does Jesus say in Matthew 6? Go into secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. The Pharisees, they love to parade their works about men. But my Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Jesus has prepared works for you to walk in. This could be evangelism that no one ever sees, that you never tell anyone about. Praying that no one ever sees. Helping a neighbor. Your own repentance, turning from sin in your daily life. It's evidence of Jesus at work in you. Pursuing holiness. Asking for forgiveness. That's a good work. When you sin against your spouse, you say, forgive me. I was a jerk. You know them by their fruit. Encouraging others, honoring others, things that are done in humble, quiet service, humble, quiet prayer, the secret things done for the glory of God and the good of others and the good of your soul. These are good works. The 35 plus one another's in Scripture. Coming with a genuine heart to worship Christ and to hear His Word and to read your Bible. I mean, these are all good works. And so the last example that James uses is verse 26. For as the body, his last example is a dead body. 
For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, hopefully we all agree with that, so also faith apart from works is dead. Body, no spirit, it's dead. That open casket almost looks like they're alive. And then, you know, somebody could go to a funeral and hear like, man, they look good. No, they don't. Like, we don't have to kid around. Like, they don't, they look dead. It's not fooling anybody. James says the same thing. Faith apart from works is dead. It's not fooling anybody. I think a lot of people in the Bible will have a faith that merely is a request to not go to hell and nothing more. I believe you'll save me from hell, but I don't really want to follow you in my daily life. I don't want to repent of sins. I don't want to worship you. I don't want to honor you. I definitely don't want to pick up my cross and follow you. Can that faith save him? That's not faith. That's, that's not Christianity. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do the works I have prepared for you. So what about those who say they're Jesus's friend but don't do what he says? Jesus is their imaginary friend. He's an imaginary savior. Because the reality that James is showing us is that Jesus saves us from our past. He saves us from our present. And Jesus is saving us toward good works. That's the point of Titus 2.14. He's making a people who are zealous for good works. He saves us toward good works. He saves us from the wrath of God. He saves us to be his own people. He saves us to one another. And he saves us for eternity with him. So is Jesus your savior? If your life would pretty much be the same with or without Jesus, be alarmed. I think a lot of us really need to hear that because we probably, you know, you probably wouldn't get drunk, you wouldn't do drugs, and and you wouldn't cheat on your wife, you, you wouldn't look at pornography, you wouldn't do all these kinds of things without Jesus. That's some of us. I'm not confident I, I wouldn't do those things without Jesus. I would love to fight people. I, I, there's all kinds of things I'm like, man, my flesh, oh, but Jesus, he's the only reason I would, I definitely wouldn't be here. I'd much rather be sleeping in or at least coming to the 11 o'clock. I mean, like, especially, <laughs> especially you guys. If your life would pretty much be the same with or without Jesus, be alarmed. But when Christ is in us, he changes us. He, he motivates us. Listen, we've all failed and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, which is why we need Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead to forgive us of our sins. And Jesus says, if you abide with me, you will bear much fruit. Beloved, let's abide with him and watch the fruit blossom. His work in us. As 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, what? You may abound in every good work. Let's pray together.